Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. Our guest today is Raj Ganguly, co-founder and managing partner at B Capital Group, a global growth equity firm with almost $1.5 billion in assets under management, focused on investing in B2B startups across four tech-enabled verticals, including FinTech and InsurTech. In this interview, we talked about the story behind B Capital, their investing approach, his outlook on FinTech around the world, the road ahead, and the challenges and opportunities of fundraising and investing over Zoom. Raj also serves on multiple boards and is a senior advisor to the Boston Consulting Group. He's an MBA graduate from the Harvard Business School and graduated from the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School and School of Engineering from the Management and Technology Program. And now join me in a fascinating interview with Raj Ganguly. All right, Raj, thank you for joining us on the Wharton FinTech Podcast. We are extremely excited to have you here with us. Can we start by hearing a little bit about your background? Sure. Um, so I myself am a graduate of Wharton. I went there for undergrad. I attended the school as a management and technology student, so I got a degree in the engineering school also. And really, it's been a pivotal part of my career. I've, uh, I've really been at the intersection of business and tech for most of my career. I worked at an enterprise fintech company early in my career based in New York. And then post that, I've transitioned to the business and investing side. And um, I spent a number of years at Bain Capital, where I was both part of the US team and Asia team. And uh, about five years ago, with two of my co-founders, I started B Capital Group. And that's where I've been for the last five years, really investing across multiple stages and across several different verticals. And since we started the firm, we've grown a little bit and we've made about 40 investments. Great, great. So you mentioned your your co-founders. You certainly have an all-star team of co-founders on one end, Eduardo Saverin, one of the co-founders of Facebook. And on the other end, you have Howard Morgan who is credited for helping start ARPANET, which is the internet's precursor in the 70s. Tell us how does a group of three you know, very interesting individuals get together and decide to launch B Capital? Howard and Eduardo are, are really phenomenal co-founders. Howard actually was a professor at University of Pennsylvania in the Wharton School for many, many years. And he was an early graduate of Cornell with a PhD in computer science. He was the founding president of Renaissance Technologies and then, of course, started First Round Capital with Josh. And Howard and I had known each other for many years through just the technology investment world. You know, frankly, I think a lot of us have admired Howard and what he's done for just overall the tech ecosystem. And then similarly, Eduardo and I knew each other for a long time. We had mutual friends going back to our days at Harvard. And about a decade ago, we were both in Asia. And as we started to spend more time together talking about where technology is going, we just found that there was a lot of alignment in our belief that the next decade of technology companies would frankly look different than the last decade. And we started investing together. And five years ago, the three of us um, decided to co-found the firm together. 
And it really started off with conversation with Howard in New York that was supposed to be about 30 minutes. And the three of us, after about three hours, really got excited about the opportunity to build a firm together. And that's what we've been doing for the last five years. Got it. And you have, unlike most VCs, you have a relationship with BCG, the consulting company. Tell us a little bit more how did that get started and what's your relationship like with them? BCG has been really a phenomenal partner to us. You know, part of the idea dates back to my time at Bain Capital. Bain Capital, of course, started off with a partnership with another management consulting firm, Bain and Company. I've known BCG for, for many years, first as a client and then as an advisor, as they were building some of their more technology-focused parts of their business. Eduardo, Howard, and I really were excited about the power that BCG could provide to our companies to help them scale and grow their deep corporate network, just things that we believed you couldn't replicate from the outside. And fundamentally, we've always believed that if we could help early stage companies scale and grow and accelerate that that path to market, that that's the most help we can provide. In some ways, it's even more important than just the capital. And that's really what BCG and BCG's clients have been for our portfolio companies over the past five years. Got it. And so this is a fintech podcast after all. So, you know, we'd love to hear why did you decide to include fintech as one of your industries of focus? Right. And tell us a little bit about some of the companies, perhaps, that you have uh, invested in, some of the fintech companies. We definitely love fintech. We think that banking and insurance are in the midst of really going through a large scale transformation. We were always going to include fintech in our focus area. I I came out of a fintech um, startup early in my career. We've We've just been huge believers that financial services is critically important to um, both consumers, but also to businesses. And that's really um, been our focus um, in terms of fintech for businesses, both for the enterprise, but also for, for small businesses. And in some ways, I think even throughout this recession, we've continued to believe that Small businesses globally, not just in the U.S., but in places like India, Indonesia, are really fundamental for growth and that um, small businesses are actually incredibly resilient. And so our focus has always been on investing in technology that's transforming large traditional industries. And banking and insurance really touch every aspect of, of people's lives, from commerce to buying a home, every aspect that consumers and businesses are involved with, fintech is a backbone for it. And we started investing in fintech pretty early as we built the funds. We we invested in a tech company in Asia. We're an investor in a P2P lending company. And really, I'd say over the last few years, we've started to expand our focus on fintech. So we invested in India and a number of companies that are serving small businesses. Um, a company called MSwipe, that's a payments company for small businesses. And then a company called Kaka Books, which is, is really kind of the back-end ledger powering a lot of small businesses and then enabling them to get access to credit, which isn't always easy when you're a small business. And then we're, we've made similar investments in Indonesia and India in a company called PayFaz in the US and a company called Plastic. These are all companies that are really focused in fintech for small businesses. And 
you know, we fundamentally believe that this is an area that over the next five to 10 years, you'll see large banks partnering with fintech companies to serve small and medium-sized businesses. And our partnership with BCG really enables us to bring those partnerships together. You have this very interesting point of view that is truly, truly global. Your slogan is even innovation without borders, right? Why did you decide to focus in in companies from all around the world rather than just pick a, a number of geographies, a number of countries? I think it just closely mirrors our own makeup. I mean, we're a team of outsiders and immigrants ourselves. We've always believed that the next generation and some of the most exciting opportunities will both come from Silicon Valley, but will also come from other places such as Bangalore and Jakarta and Los Angeles and New York. And I think that belief has really driven us to find the best companies wherever they are, tend to invest in companies that have global ambitions. So even if the company is based in one part of the world, but they want to scale across borders. And that's where we really believe that we can help them. And we were one firm, so we're not a franchise. We don't have different operations in the US versus India versus other parts of the world. And we're really able to help the companies that we invest in between our internal operations and platform team that helps companies and go to market and talent and recruiting and raising capital, along with our partnership with BCG, we're really able to help these companies scale into new markets. And that's been really part of one of our core thesis that we can help companies, even if they're based outside of Silicon Valley or based outside of the U.S., we can help them go global. And that's really what we've focused on since we've started investing. That makes sense. So your value add, of course, is you help them go global. Can you give us some examples of some of the companies you've invested in that have since grown and expanded beyond their original markets? Sure. And I think that you know part of this is making sure that we are providing the right resources to also really understand what's the right time to scale across borders. Outside of the fintech area, going back to when we started the firm, the first investment we did was a logistics technology company that was based in Singapore. It's called Ninja Van. And since we invested, they're in more than half a dozen countries. And they really are powering e-commerce across Southeast Asia. And even though they're not exactly a fintech and they are a logistics company, fintech is a big part of what they do because the payments part is actually a really important part of e-commerce in that part of the world. Less than 20% of people have credit cards. So the ability to take cash and not just to rely on credit cards has been a big driver of growth of the business. And they understood early on that not only did they have to be able to get a package from a distribution center to a customer, they often have to then be able to take cash from an end customer and bring it back you know, to the, the company's headquarters. So you know, that was the first investment we did. The company's expanded fairly dramatically since we've invested. And in the FinTech area, we are investors in companies like um, Plastic, which are based in the U.S really providing access to credit for small businesses. And many of these small businesses, especially during a recession like the one that we're in right now, are having a lot of difficulty in getting access to credit. Companies like Plastic are really a lifeline and 
we've helped the company and we've been working with them as they've been considering how to expand, you know, first into places like Canada. We also think that overall that there's real opportunities to, to leverage that model beyond even just the U.S. And, and Canada. I think a lot of our companies are actually looking at the difficulties that small businesses and enterprises are facing during this downturn and seeing that many of these problems are universal and that they have the opportunity to expand beyond just their home region. And that's an area that, that we've been really partnered with them on. Raj, we are talking really on the heels of your latest closing of your latest fund, which is actually a pretty sizable $820 million fund. Tell us a little bit about the challenges that you experience during the fundraising. I imagine a lot of it was done pre-COVID, but you did close several months after this crisis started. So it is quite an interesting point of view that you have right now. And I'm sure our listeners will love to hear some of your stories from from the road, from the digital road, because I imagine a lot of these calls happened uh, just over the phone. It's definitely been a very challenging time. I think it's been a challenging time for really everyone. And we were really lucky to close out our fundraise. We now manage about $1.5 billion. A lot of the fundraise happened before, but it was fascinating because we, right as the world was closing down, we were still in process in really the last stages of raising our funds. And I think one of the most fascinating things was this real belief that a lot of people have that you have to sit face to face and have so many discussions. And that really drove people to get on planes, it drove us to get on planes, to go out and meet with LPs. And as we all were forced to adjust and do a lot of discussions over Zoom, you know, initially we said, well, you know, let's just focus on the investors who are in process because if we haven't met someone face to face, really hard to build a relationship. And it turned out we were actually wrong that we were able to build relationships with some folks who we've actually never met in person. We now have great dialogue with them over Zoom, over WhatsApp. Um, They've come in as investors into our fund. And frankly, we're really expanding our relationship. I think it's made us as a firm, we've always been distributed from day one. We've been across two continents and four offices. We've been on video conference. We're really comfortable with it. But it's even forced us to go to the next level on that. And frankly, it's the exciting part for us has been taking some of these lessons from fundraising and applying it to investing and understanding that founders are in the same issue and that they're not able to travel and meet with people. And we've now made several investments where we've gotten to know the company over Zoom, gotten to know them over other forms of technology. We feel like we know them really well and we're excited to keep investing even throughout this downturn, even where the relationships were built completely digitally. That's very interesting. Do you think you guys have had the same amount of meetings than in the past with this new companies that you've invested, or does it require maybe more meetings because they're going to be over Zoom? I think it requires more meetings. And I also think that it requires us to rethink the way that we interact and get to know people. I think in some ways, the positive of this has been that sometimes we all take a little too much comfort in sitting across the table from someone, looking them in the eyes, leaving a meeting an hour later and saying, yes, you know, this is someone I want to do business with. Um, Well, it turns out that's an imperfect science. I think we've learned that over for many, many decades. 
yet we all continue to do it. And now as we've been forced to not overly rely on that, frankly, not rely on it at all in many circumstances, you know, I think we're asking tougher questions. You know, we have a great people and talent team. We're working with our people and talent team to really help us understand how can we build relationships with people, get to know them, understand their strengths, their weaknesses over digital medium. And frankly, I think it's raised the bar on the conversation. I think we've all learned that we can actually do business and build relationships, even in a remote world. And how many startups do you plan to support with this new fund? So, you know, our, our core fund generally invests in about 20 to 25 companies. We write anywhere from 10 to about $40 million initial investments into these companies. We've got a small early stage vehicle where we write smaller checks, seed and series A, getting to know companies better. And then we've also been in the process of expanding our ability to invest later stage and really support companies throughout um, their whole life cycle. So, you know, between fund one and fund two, our strategy is very consistent, a focused group of companies. You know, we, at this point, FinTech actually accounts for nearly, I think about 40% of our investments to date have been in the FinTech area. And so it's an area that we are very excited about continuing to invest in. Great. And speaking of the COVID-19 crisis, uh, how has it affected your portfolio companies uh, and what advice have you been giving uh, your entrepreneurs? I I think the first few months of this COVID-19 quarantine have been really difficult for every startup and frankly for every company. And as investors and as a firm, we were really just in triage mode for the first couple of months. We were just trying to figure out how can we support every company, every founder? And we basically really said that we're, that's going to be our focus, not just on our platform team that does that every single day, but across the whole firm, we actually came together and said, the only thing that matters is how can we support our portfolio companies through this? And I think that was a really important period in terms of understanding what our founders needed, what was happening really just being good listeners and then figuring out how to leverage our internal platform team, which is our team that works day-to-day with our portfolio companies and our partnership with ECG. In some ways, I think that you know we had always believed that the, the resources we had internally, the partnership with ECG, these were really important during good times. But frankly, when things got more difficult, those things became even more important. And I'm really proud of our team, our partners at BCG, and what we were able to do in terms of pulling together and helping the companies. But it was definitely a difficult period. I think over the last few months, you've seen companies starting to figure out how to operate in the new world. You've seen that the distributed workforces, the fact that everyone's working from home is becoming somewhat standard. But you know, the reality is that fundraising will continue to be difficult. There are companies in our portfolio where quarantine globally, quarantines have had significant negative impact. And these are companies that we believe as we come out of this period, actually have the ability to be really mission critical businesses. And that's always what we focused on is a business mission critical. That's always been our standard of of investing into it. And I don't think that that will change. In fact, I think some of our businesses are really 
have been extremely important to the local ecosystems where they operate. And I'm really proud of the companies that we've invested in. I I think overall that we're all learning as investors what is truly mission critical because it's these kind of times that teach us what is mission critical versus what might be important but not exactly mission critical. Raj, a lot of the companies that you invest in are not only expanding globally, but are arguably closer to IPO if they decide to go that route. A recent trend for um, companies planning to go public is uh, SPACs, right? So SPACs are exploding in popularity in recent months. Do you consider SPACs a viable or perhaps a more viable path for companies to go public? I think SPACs, direct listings, all of these things, if we take a step back, they're all a result of the fact that the process of going public is not an easy process. I think we've seen that for decades. Um, And I think when you see a company that goes public that raises $500 million and only $350 million of that capital or $400 million goes to the company, and suddenly everyone starts wondering where where did the rest of the money go? And all these listing fees and transactional fees and bankers and underwriters and everyone else who's part of the process I think we really have to take a step back and say, who is really value-add? And if fundamentally, founders, the team has built the company for years, for decades, and they're only getting a portion of that capital to help the company keep growing, then we start to question the inefficiency of that market, the amount of time it takes to go public. And I think SPACs are a direct result of the fact that, you know, that the process has been broken. And I give a lot of credit to Exchanges, you know, like NASDAQ that have really been listening, that I think are looking for ways to make that process simpler, but there's still a lot of work to do. And I think SPACs will continue to be a viable alternative until we fix that process of going public. That makes sense. Great. So tell us a little bit about the road ahead for B Capital. How do you envision the next few years? As a firm, we turned five years old later this year. I think we have always understood that this is a business that we are very privileged to be in. The fact that we get to sit across the table from founders who are transforming these big industries, but it's also an industry which really firmly established players who've been in it for decades. And, you know, those incumbent players obviously have done incredible things and we want to learn from them. But frankly, we want to do this our way. And we feel like over the past five years, we've been able to build a business development network in partnership with BCG that really is, we believe, one of the best ones in the market and that we could help companies that want to sell to large businesses, medium-sized businesses, that we can help them accelerate their path to market and that we can help them scale across borders and that we've got the operational talent to really be more than just investors with these companies. And that's our focus. We just want to continue to do that and back great companies. At the end of the day, it really is about the companies that we're able to help scale and grow and play a small part in their success. And that's what we'll continue to do, you know, across our team and across our partnership with CG. You know, our belief has always been that over the next decade, that there will be a few hundred transformative companies that are built more and more of these companies will be built in large traditional industries like banking and insurance, but also in healthcare, industrial logistics. 
and that we want to partner with as many of these companies as possible. But if we can be partners with them early in their life cycle, we would love to do that. I think our core focus will continue to be on the series B, C, and D, where these companies are really scaling to five to $50 million of revenue. And we feel like we can help them scale faster their next stage of growth. And if that's the kind of partners that founders are looking for, we're we are hungry and driven and we want to be the best partners possible. I think that's our goal. And that's why we want to, to win and partner with the best founders. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, Raj, before we go, we always like to ask about your personalized side a little bit. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about some of your hobbies that you like outside of B Capital. I definitely consider it a privilege to do what I get to do. And, you know, frankly, my hobby and my work is really kind of intersected and merged with being an investor in growth stage tech companies. I think that ultimately, you know, I spend my days doing this and I spend my evenings meeting with founders and learning from other people in this industry. And that's something that I love doing. And I you know, consider it an immense privilege that I personally get to be a small part of this tech ecosystem. And I think we've all learned over the last two decades that tech is not only here to stay, but that it's incredibly resilient and that it is just a key part of every single industry today. And it's global and it's impacting all of us. And I guess my, my simple answer is that my hobby is what I get to do for work. And, and that's probably, you know, as I've progressed in my career, it's been 22 years since I graduated from Wharton. I couldn't have thought of anything better than to be at a point where I get to do something which is the thing that I love to do even outside of work, but it's what I get to do for work every day. Well, sounds like a, an excellent setup. Well, Rush, thank you again for joining us. We are not only happy that you joined us, but especially happy that we have another Wharton alum on the podcast. Once it's all over, we'd love to see you around campus. and. Um, thank you again. Thank you, Miguel. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and the rest of social media at Wharton Fintech. You will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. Signing off, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.